Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Everyday Theology, where we as ordinary pastors connect truths to theological and ordinary believers like yourself. My name is Ben Campbell, and I'm uh, sitting across the screen from Dr. Ronnie Kurtz, and uh, we're going to talk with him about his new book called Fruitful Theology. And uh, Dr. Kurtz, it's good to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, Ben, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate uh, appreciate you sending the invite. It'd be fun. L- looking forward to talking today. Absolutely. Well, before we get into our time uh, about the book, tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe give us a short snippet of uh, how you came to Christ and how you, what led you to being a professor uh, in yeah. theology and all the good things. Absolutely. Happy to. Uh, I was converted uh, a little bit later in life, kind of late high school, and was converted in a, a small free will Baptist church in Southern Missouri. Uh, didn't really know much about Christianity, didn't really know many Christians, kind of thought, to be totally honest, that Christians were a touch strange. And uh, <laughs> the first time I ever attended a church, I uh, went with a friend. I didn't know he was going to be going to church that night, but uh, was hanging out with him. He told me, hey, by the way, on Wednesdays, I go to church. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to church for the first time. So I did. <laughs> and, uh, Kind of showed up thinking Christians were a little strange, and the the particular passage that was being preached that night was when God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And so when the pastor read the passage, I thought, "Oh wow, these folks might even be stranger than I thought they were." <laughs> and uh, yeah, so but out of the kindness of the Lord, uh, I, I believe I was converted that night uh, through through the preaching of the gospel and the kind, steady, faithful mentorship of a local church pastor. Uh, through his mentorship, really felt called to preach and uh, did that, really loved being with God's people, studying the word, uh, delivering sermons, preaching the gospel, really enjoyed and loved that, decided to pursue that in college. And in college, I really found that uh, I kind of live a touch of a hybrid life. I, I love I loved in college studying the deep things of God, working through systematic theology. I loved the academic side, but I also couldn't get away from just my love of the local church. And everyday, ordinary Christians uh, kind of inflamed my affections for the Lord. And so I just decided pretty early on that as long as the Lord had let me, I would live in both worlds, the academy and the local church. And so... I realized I knew I would have to choose one of them as a vocation, and uh, the academy just kept opening doors and uh, pursued that. Uh, ended up going to a seminary in Kansas City and doing a few degrees there and finished my PhD in systematics there about a year ago. And since then, uh, January 1st, 22, after I finished my PhD in systematic theology, I uh, was hired at Cedarville University. And so I teach... I'm an assistant professor of theology here at Cedarville University in Ohio and teach uh, teach systematics here and I've been loving it. So I've been here about 10 months now. So my wife and our daughter and our family are just uh, really enjoying it. Good deal. That's good to hear. I have uh, been acquainted with, I didn't tell you this before we jumped on, but I've been acquainted with you through uh, the For the Church podcast and through your oh, writing and cool. stuff. and. And have gleaned from it. So, uh, and uh, done a couple of cohorts with with Jared Wilson as well. So, oh, great! Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're comrades, and and we didn't even know it. But uh, that's yeah, awesome. So, I, I think I want to start before we get into the questions. Speak to, speak a little bit to 
how pastors, because we do have some pastors who listen to how pastors can live in, you, you said live in both worlds of, of sort of in the church, but also in the academy, um, because we do have uh, a, kind of this confusion where we think that those things are bifurcated. And yep. so uh, maybe maybe explain as a as a young man uh, who who has done the seminary thing, gotten the degrees, but also loves the local church, how we uh, can maybe try to try to bridge that gap. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, for me, it's not to be totally frank. It doesn't feel like a gap to be bridged a little bit because it's so natural for me to try to live in both worlds. But I do get it a lot. I, you know, from both sides, there are sadly, there are academics out there who look down on the local church, who think there's a, there's a, there is a rampant anti-intellectualism so prevalent that the church is kind of a lost cause. And to be frank, I just don't fit in with that crowd. And on yep. the other side, there is, there is a local church constituency that kind of looks down on or is at least weary of academic institutions or formal academic institutions and uh, don't really push their folks to contemplate the deep things of God or spend much time on the intellectual life. And I've just never really found myself fitting in there either. And so what I would want to say is you, know, you, you probably have some listeners who maybe feel a little bit of that hybrid pool of, hey, I love – I actually love preaching on Sundays and I yep. don't hate reading books. And uh, <laughs> I would just want to say to them, uh, that's okay. Like, it's okay to try to live in both worlds. I think you're going to be need to be faithful to where you're vocationally at, whether that's the local church or the academy. You need to be faithful to the people that God has put under you. Um, but I think it's okay to uh, actually try to really press into the intellectual life in a way that leads to your devotion and the good of your people. And I think there, it could look so many ways, whether it's, you know, being a full-time vocational pastor who's staying up to date with, you know, theological conversations and theological publishing, or whether it's being a vocational theologian like myself and pursuing lay eldership or uh, an associate pastor somewhere, it can look so many ways. And so I would just, the thing I would want to communicate to any hearers out there is if you feel a little bit of a hybrid pool, you're all right. Uh, it's, it's okay for you to love both worlds. I would just say be faithful and uh, uh, don't don't sacrifice one to the other. I yeah, would say and, real quick though, just, yeah. just on that, I do think it's important for folks who are contemplating this world. One of the things I love to remind my students and local church pastors is while I love both worlds, the reality is that Jesus died for, for the church, not for the academy. And mm. so at the end of the day, I think the real ministry is happening at the local church level. Uh, I, I don't think Jesus is coming back for the academy one day. I think he's coming back for <laughs> right. his bride. And so while I love the academy and obviously have given my life this direction, I would say that um, don't make heroes out of professors. Make heroes out of Jesus and those faithful shepherds who are serving his people. Uh, I think that I think local church pastors are the real heroes. Yeah, that's a good word. And that that does lead into your book, uh, Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul. And um, so let's talk a little bit about the book, um, because you know, you're going to have to. So I I did some work and have have written a book as well. And uh, you're going to have to tell me, did you write this book while you were doing your dissertation, too? <laughs> 
I did. Yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of break in between as, as anyone who's written a book knows books, the life of a book kind of comes in stages. And so I had written what was largely a really, really rough first version of my dissertation. And it was being sent off to a number of different editors to go through. Mm. And I had about a three to four month window in between a round of edits. And so I kind of singularly focused in on fruitful theology for about four months and wrote it, wrote it in that span. Good deal. But good deal. Cause I thought, man, you had no time. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> probably had no time. Through, but that's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and not to mention you do have a copy of your dissertation coming out as well. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It comes out in November with Christian focus. It'll be called uh, no shadow of turning divine immutability in the economy of redemption. It's obviously as a dissertation, it's a much more academic book. Um, yes. Whereas fruitful theology is a kind of a trade level book, but good, yet that comes out deal. next month. Yeah, good deal. And I would encourage listeners to get a copy of both of these um, as well. So let's talk then about fruitful theology. Why why write a book like that? Why why use your off time from writing for <laughs> no telling how many months? Yeah, to uh, to to write another book like this about how again you can have a a life of your mind while also pursuing holiness. Yeah. I, um, part of it is that, that hybrid life that I was just talking about. I had just come off of four years of writing that dissertation. That was such an academic level book and just felt a longing to not just communicate to academics, but communicate to everyday church folks as well. Um, who I just, you know, dearly love and wanted to serve, and so uh, I, I love a, a number of good theologians, but, but Kevin Van Hooser uh, in Chicago, he's such a good model of writing academics and lay level books. And I just really love and value his model of doing that. And so I wanted to kind of follow suit even early in my career. But to answer your question more directly, kind of why, the why behind Fruitful Theology, there was really two concerns that I had in mind when I was writing Fruitful Theology. The first is uh, a concern that some folks view theology as a activity reserved for a select few or an activity that could lead to a cold, stale, dead faith. And I wanted to help bring down some of the caricatures that theology might have and show instead of it being a cold, dead, academic, intellectual life only I wanted to show that maybe the life of your mind and the life of your heart are a little more closely connected than you think they are. And I wanted to show how an intellectual life in submission to the scriptures and to the triune God can actually lead to a a real strong affection in the soul. And wanted to talk about the connection between the life of the mind and the life of the soul. So that was kind of the first reason. The second reason, which is probably a little more pertinent in the book, is that for those people who are interested in theological discourse – Uh, It's not hard, to be honest, to hop online and see some pretty disappointing things taking place on social media or in local churches under the name of quote unquote theology. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a lot in our day. There is a lot of sarcasm and backbiting and exaggeration. And there seems to be an ever an ever worsening culture war that makes an us first them world in which we're constantly having to be the loudest in the room or the most noisy, or we're constantly 
um, you know, heretic hunting or something like this. And there are no doubt times in which we should draw lines and stand for truth and not, not be those kinds of Christians who don't have a backbone, of course. However, I think when the temperature of the conversation is consistently this high, it really leads to a lack of, to be frank, the virtues that comprise the fruit of the spirit, a lack of love, a lack yeah. of gentleness, a lack of self-control, a lack of patience, a lack of um, kindness and joy. And so I just wanted to, you know, for both parties, the parties who might think of theology as stale and the folks who might think of theology as a war tactic. I just wanted yeah. kind of to give maybe a, a small vision or a small encouragement of what it can look like to use theology for joy. Yeah, so that's that's a good a good overall synopsis of of what you're trying to do and I think again that's what kind of meshes with us here at Everyday Theology because that's what we're trying to do as well. We're trying to communicate this message that theology really is for life. Uh theology is for the total person. Leroy Fourlines our foremost theologian in the Free Will Baptist world uh says that every human being thinks with their mind, feels with their hearts, and acts with their wills. Yep. And so that that means then that what you pour into your mind eventually comes out through your heart and through your actions. And so it's important then that we we have a, a foundation that's worth standing on. Um, it's yeah, like, that's right. It's like the wise and foolish man. Yeah, absolutely. And what I found, at least true in my own story, is that um, – that which I spend time contemplating, I end up appreciating. And really, for me, if, if you were to distill fruitful theology down to one passage, I, I, there's a lot I could choose from. But I really think Second Corinthians 3.18 becomes kind of the driving force in which Paul says, uh, you know, us, we with unveiled faces will mm. behold Christ from one degree of glory to another. And yes. really, the goal of fruitful theology is to convince folks that uh, it's worth it. It's, it is absolutely worth it and is a beautiful and joyful life to look at Christ until we begin to look like Christ, uh, mm. to behold him until we are conformed into his image. And so that, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I'm at is, uh, yeah, is exactly what you're saying. The life of your mind is so connected to your affections. And the mm. more clearly you see who God is and what he is doing, you just can't help but to love him. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that, that sort of leads into this next question then. Uh, so we have, there are a lot of misconceptions about theology and how theology can be this ivory tower discipline that's only for professors in, in the universities and seminaries or whatever. Um, so is there a way to, uh, or, or do you address those misconceptions in the book? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, in the in the first chapter, I have the chapter is called "Why Do the Theologians Rage," <laughs> and it's it, I, I choose three or four what I call malpractices of theology: <laughs> theology leading to arrogance, theology leading to division, theology leading to the belittlement of others, theology for the sake of the applause of man, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I, I choose a few of those what I call malpractices of theology. And I really just in that first chapter, I'm just trying to name them and just say, look, these are real. There are actual yeah. people out there who what they want is not God. They want mm. applause and theology happens to be a convenient vehicle to get that. Yeah. And and I named that in hopes to say, hey, theology is amazing. There's so many reasons theology is wonderful. 
But theology is simply a servant. It is simply a tool, an instrument. What we are after in the Christian life is God. He Hmm. is who we want. He is the prize. And in so much as theology can help our mind's eye get an eyeful of God, it is a glorious tool. But when theology becomes a mean, it becomes an end in itself and not the means to the end of the triune God and his glory, then man, it can, it can get dangerous. Uh, Theology can become an idol very quickly. And not only can it become an idol, it can become a convenient vehicle towards other idols. And whether that's power or applause or whatever it may be, theology can get you those things sometimes. And when it's used that way, it's devastating. It can lead to deep Mm -hmm. hurt. But when it's used to maximize your joy, to maximize the glory of God, and to maximize the good of your neighbor, man, it is so beautiful. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, you're writing from a, a standpoint of conviction. You're not writing from a standpoint to say, hey, look at me, I've written a book and it's called theology, you know, and all this, but <laughs> you're, you're really are. You're, I mean, this is something that I think uh, maybe folks in our generation need to understand. Absolutely. Is that theology, again, is, is the way in which we come to know our creator. Yes. And, and, yeah. and it's a, it's a Trinitarian exercise. Absolutely. Amen. And, and, and so there's, man, there's just so much we could talk about there, but I want to, uh, I want to go forward because, um, more importantly, and I, I think you would probably agree with this. Uh, you, we can see if you will. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think most importantly is that theology, doing theology, study, uh, and, and doing the work of a theologian should drive us to holiness and it should drive us to Christ likeness and drive us to growing in grace and, and growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So how does you, how does your book, how would you recommend that folks um, pursue holiness while doing theology? Absolutely. I think that there is um, this really sad notion out there that you have theological studies on the one hand and devotional studies on the other hand. (laughs) And I think it's a really sad notion. I want to give my life to kind of hurting that dichotomy a little bit to maybe bringing it down a little bit. And um, what I would say is we are all about pragmatism in our day. We, we so badly want 10 ways to be a better Christian or seven ways to do this better or whatever it may be. And I think I just want to be a small voice saying, maybe, just maybe, maybe the most practical thing you can have right now is not 10 steps to be a better whatever. Maybe the most practical thing you can do for your Christian right now, Christian life right now is get a clearer and grander vision of who God is. Yeah. Maybe that's the most practical thing to transform your soul. And what we end up seeing as we actually press into the content of Christian theology is, man, there are, there are about a million wells of beauty to drink from <laughs> when we get into, when we start walking into the waters of Christian theology. And what we see even, you know, in the first chapter or the second chapter is on love, the first fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I talk about this doctrine that has been long forgotten in a lot of kind of modern theology books, but showed up in just about every pre-modern theology book called Divine Simplicity. Yeah. And uh, Divine Simplicity is uh, kind of a strange doctrine, but 
Uh, in its most basic form, it teaches us that God is not composed of parts like you and I, but instead God is his attributes. So for example, yeah. we read in first John, not that God has love like you and I do, but that he is love. Love is not something God has that he could take off or add more of. God is love in his very essence. And holiness is the same way. God doesn't merely have holiness as if he could decrease in holiness or gain holiness. God in his very being is holy. And this is where the definition of theology becomes so important because I define mm-hmm. theology in the book along with a long line of, of, of people in church history as the contemplation of God and all things in relation to God. Yep. And if that's what theology is, if theology is the contemplation of God and God doesn't merely have holiness, but he is holy, then we should begin to look like the one that we're looking at. And if God is holy and we spend our days gazing at him and what he is doing, we ought to become holy. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. uh, theology is not enough to give you holiness. You're going to need more than that, right? You're going to need, you're going to need a number of things, but it is a really good tool along the journey towards holiness. Most definitely. First uh, Corinthians 13, if I speak the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm Amen. a yes. noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Mm-hmm. And, and I, yeah, that's so important because, again, it, it, this is what uh, you were saying earlier. Theology is the means through which we become holy. It's the study of God. It's the contemplation. It's the meditation. Uh, it's, it's service to God that that conforms you to the image of Christ. Um, and so that that ought to be the goal of every believer. Um, and this, again, this is not just a, a pastoral goal. This is not just a seminarian goal or a professor goal. This is the, the goal of every person who's in Christ by faith. That's right. And, and honestly, it's, it's, um, it always surprises me a little that I have to sometimes defend theology as like mm-hmm. a worthwhile practice. But you know that, that this is a reality. There is, there is sometimes an anti-intellectualism that can run through the church. And a silly analogy that I've used before in the past is uh, it, it actually might work well here on this podcast because <laughs> most people probably don't know who I am or, or, or care, which is great. But uh, <laughs> if, you know, if someone was to ask me like, hey, Ronnie, do you love your wife? I would say, absolutely. I love, I love Kristen dearly. And if they said, well, why? What do you love about her? And I say, you know, I mean, I love so much about her. I love, I love her blonde curly hair. I love her green eyes. I love how extroverted she is. I love how much she can just like capture a room. Well, if you don't know me, you might say, oh, that's, that's great. He sounds like he really loves his wife. But if you know me, you would say, who is he talking about? Because that is not describing his wife. My wife does not have blonde curly hair. She has straight black hair. My wife is not extroverted. She is severely introverted. She's actually probably uncomfortable that I'm using her as an example right now. You can like (laughs) feel the disturbance in the air. And this is a silly analogy, but I actually think this is often what happens in local churches. Mm -hmm. They ask, people might ask, do you love God? We say yes. And they say, well, what do you love about God? And then we begin to describe a a being or a person who is just foreign to what the Mm -hmm. Bible describes God as. And uh, it would be as if I was praising my wife for attributes or characteristics she just simply doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And so if we love God, typically we want to know those who we love. And man, if we love God, I, I would just suggest to folks, don't press away from the intellectual life, 
bend the intellectual life in service of the spiritual life and press into the one who you love. Yeah. Yeah. Those two lives are not mutually exclusive. Amen. Yes. Yes. And so, man, that's so good. So, so those of you, those listening who might get the book, uh, what do you hope that they, that they glean? If there was one or two takeaways from the book, what just, what would you think if there was a couple of those that you would kind of push for that? Yeah, I, um, I, I try to have right expectations for the book. I know (laughs) that the, the book is not going to change the temperature of theological discourse. Uh, this book is not going to change many people's lives. It's not going to make everyone kinder on social media and stop being so mean. <laughs> uh, it's just probably not going to do that. Yeah. But what it can do is encourage those people out there who feel alone. Uh, it might be able to be a small reminder to folks who want to both love truth and grace who want to love the life of the mind and the life of the soul, who want to love academic studies and local church ministries. It might be a small encouragement to those people that they can be faithful, that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. There are a few of us out there who, who don't want to use theology to constantly be cutting down brothers and sisters, but instead Mm -hmm. want to use theology to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters and uh, my hope is not to change the temperature. If it does, man, that would be amazing. My hope is to simply encourage the ones who, even up to this point, have just kind of refused to participate in the the, the grossness that is social media banter or mm-hmm. um, even, I mean, even beyond social media. You've probably felt it in your local church as well, but uh, unity has been harder than it's ever been for most yeah. local churches over the past, you know, four, five, six years, whether it's political unrest or racial unrest or unrest due to COVID or whatever it may be. Mm. Uh, I hope the book can demonstrate a way forward where we can both hold together in the Christian life, truth and love. Absolutely, man. That's, that's so good. And uh, so I would encourage you listening, those listening to pick up Ronnie's book, fruitful theology, pick up uh, no shadow of turning, pick up that dissertation and, and, Read it alongside a dictionary if you have to, <laughs> uh, you know, it, because it's it's good because one of the things and and I've I know Matthew Barrett from afar off. You know him personally, but but man, he is so correct in in kind of giving off this notion that we have ignored the doctrine of God mm. in our theological endeavors for far too long. And yeah. um, if there is anything more glorious and more uh, grandiose for us to focus our attention on it is the triune God of the Bible. Amen. That's exactly and so right. So we we ought to we ought to um, give our lives to this endeavor. So Ronnie, man, thanks for coming on and uh, talking about the book. We are uh, glad that you came on. And uh, anything that you want to say before we get off here? Hey, no, I just I, I want to say thanks again for having me, man. I, I appreciate anyone who is using their lives to propagate the glory of God and um, using theology as a tool to do it just means you and I are going to be pretty aligned. And so encourage you to keep going, encourage your listeners to keep going. Um, God is worth it. God's glory is worth it. The good of our neighbors is worth it. So thank you for uh, reading. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for the invite. And uh, yeah, I I appreciate what you're doing. Absolutely. And listeners, thanks for listening. 
Uh, you can follow us on social media. Give us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And until next time, we pray that these truths reach you for your good and for God's glory.